Welcome to the latest Squarmar Moments, and we've got a good one for you. YouTuber, comedian, mental health advocate, and all-round polymath, Daniel Howe, talks to our host, Louis Strong. Dan, thank you so much for joining me on Square Mile Moments. How are you, sir? I am great. You know, every morning I wake up and try to just ignore all the ways that the world are on fire and then just get on with it. So I'm just, I'm in that attitude today. I'm smiling and I'm just getting through the day. Wednesday, it's a great day. Halfway Wednesday. through the week. Do, 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 do you think about the week like that? Because I suppose in being self-employed, every day is a working day. Oh yeah, time has no meaning. I'm trapped in a prison of my own design. I think I've always been like self-employed people. It's a blessing and a curse because you don't have your own boss, which you resent, but then you are your own boss and you resent yourself. Whoa. That comes naturally to me though. So that's okay. Uh, it sounds like we're going existential already. Sorry. That's just me on a Wednesday morning. <laughs> I love that. So I don't know how much you've been told about this podcast particularly, but we are trying to speak to guests about significant moments in their life that have helped mm -hmm. define them, shape them, mm -hmm. uh, and kind of what are core memories to you. And so I'm going to kick off with my first moment for you. What is a moment of inspiration? So perhaps when you were younger, when you were growing up, was there somebody or something that inspired you and that's really helped you today? I mean, the answer that is not a good answer, but is actually a true answer is I learned to play the piano because I watched an episode of Art of the Aardvark and it touched me incredibly on an emotional level. I'm not just, it sounds really, but this is the thing people go, oh, you know, I walked into the parlor, my grandfather was playing the piano and in that moment I was inspired to become a musician. But I had a fairly um, uninspiring childhood where I wasn't kind of encouraged to think much. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes I stumbled across these, you know, things on TV. You'd watch a movie, you'd play a video game, and suddenly you'd be so excited by the potential of the world. And for me, it was just watching one of those silly cartoons on CBBC. I was never told to play an instrument. And then I just saw Arthur the Aardvark trying to play Feralese. And then still as an adult to this day, that's one of my meditative hobbies is trying to teach myself how to play the piano. And that's just a funny example of how sometimes it's not something that uh, actually comes from your immediate environment, but how any tiny piece of art can actually make a profound impact on you at an early age. I love that. Do you, do you still know Furley's? I do. Yeah. I, I actually only finished properly learning because that's quite a long song that gets quite yeah. hard in the middle, which you don't know when you're eight. So it took me until <laughs> I was about 28 to do it. And I think that was a full circle moment. That was a big year for me because it's when I came out as gay was when I was 28. So I think clearly that was some kind of big universal full circle year for me. That's a serious 20-year stint, but exactly. you got there in the end. It's always, always good to finish your goals. Pay off. Yeah, absolutely. I think music's a really therapeutic thing as well. Do you find that? Absolutely. For me, playing the piano is something that I do to just concentrate fully on something because mm. I spend way too much time up in my head. It's good. It's the reason why I'm a writer is because I'm constantly never resting. I'm terrible at relaxing. I'm always just marinating on whatever I'm working on next. If I'm thinking about something, writing something, planning some kind of event, it's always in the background of my mind taking up about, you know, when your, your computer's crashing and then you realize you've got a hundred Chrome tabs open. That's my brain all the time thinking about work. <laughs> so sometimes I need to just sit down and play the piano for a bit. And I find myself concentrating so hard on not making horrible sounds that for a brief moment, I was free. And that's beautiful. It's a night, an escape from reality. Yeah. So let's have a look at your next moment then. A moment of 
revelation, a moment of epiphany. So a moment where you, in your life, I don't know, mm. something, something just clicked. I have had a very turbulent relationship with my sexuality throughout my life because I very much grew up in a quite homophobic environment that even with, you know, the casual, you know, when people used to say, oh, that's so gay. You'd realize yeah, that yeah. gay well, was well, a synonym for bad. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And therefore, in the back of my mind, when I was 14, if I realized maybe I'm a bit gay, that ended up being maybe I am fundamentally bad. And from that moment, I was just running away from this inevitable truth. And my whole life, I thought, oh, you know, well, maybe I'll, I'll say I'm bisexual. That's kind of meeting halfway. And that's easier for some people to understand. It just makes you sound arty. It's, it's less <laughs> confrontational. Maybe, you know, you, you're just into some substances and you try some things. That's a different kind of guy. It's not, it's not this whole gay thing. But then when I was 27, 28, I found that I had been running from a fundamental truth in my life. And it was really starting to weigh on me. And I think this is something that even if people aren't struggling with their sexuality, they might know that there is this fundamental truth about their life, that they are not doing something that they enjoy, that they are not with people, that they are good for them, that just something about their life, they are choosing to keep coasting when they know that that's not right for them. And I just got to a point where every part of me just started screaming, you need to confront this right now. And it was a moment when I was writing a comedy piece about how I was going to come out as gay and my whole journey through sexuality. And it was only during the process of actually writing out my thoughts that I said to myself for the first time, no, 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 it's okay to just say it, a quiet moment of acceptance to yourself. I am gay and I just have to accept that as a fact. And the moment I mentally just accepted that for the first time, instead of trying to excuse it or run away from it or find a way to justify it or explain it, not even deciding how I felt about it, was it good or bad, but just accepted something that I knew was to be true. I had this profound wave of kind of freedom, acceptance, a weight shedding, like, oh God, I felt like I've been running all my life. Like there's this being a spooky person in a, I was going to say in a closet that is too on the nose lurking <laughs> over my shoulder my whole life. And that now I'm finally over it. So I, I do really think that a lot of us, we are aware of the, things that we're trying not to accept. But even if it's going to be messy and dramatic and maybe not necessarily a good thing, the moment you accept something that's true, you will immediately be removing a lot of pressure from your life. I mean, thank you so much for speaking so, so well on that. In terms of the societal pressures, was that probably the most contributing factor as to why you didn't want to come mm. out fully? Yeah, definitely. And, and, and accept the, as you say, the fundamental truth within yourself. Because have you seen this show called Heartstopper on Netflix yet? Oh yeah, yeah, that's very popular right now. <laughs> that's yeah. the, uh, the, the experience I wish I could have had. And if anyone doesn't know, it's kind of just your typical high school romance show, except it's two gay guys, which sounds incredibly boring. And yet it's radical because it's the first show that's just a lighthearted rom-com about, yeah. <laughs> about two teenagers. But I honestly was like, I don't know if I want to watch this. Because to a lot of people, I go, it's heartwarming, it's fun. But I thought, oh, for me, would it be depressing? Because this is the experience that I never got to have. Like, damn, would this be like what, looking through a, you know, a window to someone that has a perfect life and going, well, F me, I guess. <laughs> but, you know, I just need to get over it. I'm sure it's a fun show. Did you, do you have any uh, funny stories of you telling certain people? Oh, definitely. There were like... Um, 
you know, I tell a friend and then you watch them go through the whole kind of uh, computer is not responding, brain short circuiting <laughs> moment where it's just such an overwhelming bomb to drop on someone that they just dissolve into awkward things. And they're like, that's fine. That's fine. I knew maybe I did. It, no, I'm not supposed to say I knew because that's yeah, like, I know. offensive. No, I don't. As a, bzz, bzz, and I'm like, look, this isn't actually supposed to be about you, but now yeah. I'm kind of managing your feelings. So, you know, me just trying to tell a bunch of people, look, I don't know if you got the vibe already. Turns out I'm gay. It was basically me giving a half an hour therapy session to everyone who I dared to just drop this bomb on, on their Wednesday morning. And then they're trying to go about their life. Yeah, that's beautiful. I, I, that's so, so true. I just think people are like, um, you know, nothing has literally changed. All I've done yeah. is just tell you something that is a fact. That's that. Let's yeah. move on. And <laughs> brilliant. It's the thing about dropping bad news. If you go up to a friend and you go, I lost my job, you end up, they like, usually, it would be great if someone has the right emotional reaction. But I say this to everyone, you have to expect them to not have the right emotional reaction. And you might actually have to manage how they react. So if you go up, oh, broke up with my girlfriend, they might go into a whole spiral. Yeah. <laughs> how does this affect their life? Who do they go on double dates with? What do they think of you? Do they have to like hang out and give you ice cream now? And you have to be like, no, 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 it's okay. You will get through this. I believe in you. <laughs> <laughs> the communal breakup. Yeah. Now, moving on to the next moment then. What about a moment of advice? Has there been something where you've been given a motto or uh, met somebody, I don't know, in the public eye or a teacher that really gave mm. you something that stuck with you? There's lots of people that I talk to online because I'm someone that's a, a terminal internet user. I spend a lot of time on Twitter, which nobody should because that app is a hellscape. But... There's this whole notion of how people act on the internet and how it's so vitriolic because in you know, real life, you expect people to have general respect, be a bit courteous, or at least be aware of their actions. People aren't usually going to act completely wild in real life because they might get dirty looks from other people or kicked out of the office. But on the internet, great place to vent all of your frustrations. Just you know, start all caps swearing at somebody on Twitter. It's great. <laughs> but you cannot take the same emotional expectation to how people act online as if it was real life. If you go onto a Facebook page and you see someone just going off about some suit, some scooter sale that's gone horribly wrong, <laughs> and it's the most vitriolic, terrible thing you've ever seen, and your emotional reaction is, wow, if this happened to me in real life, this would shake me to my core. You have to just completely detach your brain and go, actually, this, this isn't real, and it's a completely different emotional circumstance because this person is just venting all the emotions of their entire life via this one Facebook comment. And you've got to realize that, I think I used an iceberg analogy to say that all of the terrible stuff you hear about that happens online is actually just the frosty tip of an iceberg because the bad stuff stands out. When actually 90% of humanity, you'd hope in real life, you look at politics, you're not so sure these days, but you'd hope that 90% of the people in real life are just the quiet people that are acting normal. So you can't let it take over your brain that the 10% that are acting out are representative of the whole of humanity because otherwise you'll be scared to go outside. Such, such solid advice. Co completely agree as well. What do you think about kind of social media and the introduction of technology with younger children now? Because, you know, I, 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 got, I was at a, a course yesterday and I think the average age of a child in the UK now that gets a phone is 10. Mm, amazing and terrifying. Yeah. yeah. I think that it's a double-edged sword because with the internet you have 
access to information that people wouldn't have. There's a whole world at their fingertips. People can be inspired. They can educate themselves and they can also just find community. They can find friends. And that's amazing. It's something that wouldn't be possible in real life, but also when it's just this unfiltered way for people to vent their emotions and any kind of content is anywhere. I think it's tough. I mean, I'm someone that has been on the internet since I was about 11 and I don't necessarily think that was a good thing. <laughs> it's also kind of inevitable, but no, I think that especially some of the social media like Instagram or the posing or the influencers or mm. the people trying to portray their lives as perfect all the time. I do think that that is going to have a quite a passive uh, kind of gnawing away at people's mental health going damn am i supposed to be this happy am i supposed to look this good am i supposed to be this perfect all of the time and i think the the more we all say look it's not all true it's people acting as perfect and also maybe you should just share how you really feel sometimes i think the conversation about how social media makes you feel is getting better but it's definitely just a fact that a lot of young people these days are being thrown into this completely overwhelming world and you just got to hope that the right kind of person reaches them with the right message. 100%. Now, looking at the next moment, which one do I want to do? Here we go. Uh, this, okay, this is, can be to do with your career or your personal life, but a moment of fulfillment. Sure. So something where you've just kind of sat back and you've gone, do you know what? Yeah, that was good. <laughs> when I went on tour for the first time, it was a very different experience for me because if you do a lot of stuff online or like a podcast, you tell me, Louis, do you ever <laughs> tangibly feel the impact of what you're doing? Because it can be hard when it's all online. You know, you see yeah. a review on Audible and it goes, five star, this is really good. But when you meet someone in person and they go, hey, I listened to that one episode, I heard this conversation and that really made me think something. That makes you feel as someone that's doing something that it's real and it makes it feel more worthwhile. And for years, I never felt that anything was real because if you just see likes on a Facebook account or a comment saying this was cool, it's hard to realize. But when I stood on a stage and I said something and I saw people actually laugh, I thought, oh my God, this is real. <laughs> I'm, maybe I'm actually making people feel something. And when someone would meet me after the show and they go, hey, on, on any level of the spectrum from, you know, this was mildly entertaining to you completely changed my life. If someone just said this, I had a good evening tonight, I'd go home thinking this was all worth it. So definitely the moment that I started meeting people physically and they talked to me about what I did, that made me go, yeah, <laughs> I, and I don't have as many regrets as I thought. <laughs> and obviously now post COVID, you're getting that opportunity all over again and you're shooting off on tour. Yeah. I mean, I haven't been able to do that for three years, obviously. And it's, <laughs> uh, it's really exciting for me. It's incredibly fun to be on the road just existentially because if I work from home all the time and I'm a writer I spend a lot of time just staring at a white wall screaming thinking about the possibility of what I have to do and I have to motivate myself if I'm on the road I know I have one job and that's at some point in the evening I just have to walk on stage and talk for two hours and then go to bed great great just turn off the brain no existential crisis it's wonderful um but then the the subject matter of the show that I'm doing is potentially quite upsetting <laughs> I don't, oh, it's what, it's what I said at the start. Like, I, this is actually, as you say, probably a direct result of the last three years that I think that a lot of us don't talk about things that make us scared and uncomfortable. We're thinking mm -hmm. about how we feel about the COVID or maybe it's all the things in the news, climate change, politics, all this stuff. And it's very stressful. You just swipe open your phone in the morning. You just see this wave of terrible things that are threatening to inevitably destroy us. And then you're expected to just go have lunch with Janine as if 
okay, this is normal. So I thought, hey, what if we do a comedy show and then the subject matter is just all the most terrible things that are happening in the world right now. If I manage to make that funny, great. If I don't, at least we're putting it on the table and being honest about it. And maybe we'll be able to cope when we leave. So it's kind of, I don't know whether we'll be able to find a reason to be hopeful or if it'll just be a group therapy session, but I'm looking forward to finding out. So yeah. Uh, very exciting. Uh, dates are indeed when? They start in September in the UK and then I'm going all over the place. I'm going to America and Australia and Europe. Yeah, global. Um, and the show, I called the show We're All Doomed because <laughs> that's Cheery. the subject matter. But... The main impetus for that was I just thought it'd be really funny to walk past a theater and then see we're all doomed put up in massive letters. So it's not even, it doesn't have to be what the show's about. I just want to see it on the sign because I think that people driving past will go, oh my God, what the heck is that? And that's what I want to manifest in the world. <laughs> Drive past, I agree. <laughs> um, yeah. how, when you sit down to write, is mm. it one of those things? Because I so many writers work in different ways some might have a little notebook on them and just have an mm -hmm. epiphany in a moment as you say <laughs> and write it down or do you like devote time where you sit down and go right i'm going to write some of my show now i am the least disciplined person in the entire Love world that. stephen king that goes i sit down and i write five thousand words a day i'm like i do nothing for two months and then i have a life or death deadline and then i write fifty thousand words in three days and that's my process but as I say, I'm always marinating it in the back of my mind. So it's mm. very rare that I would start anything creative, even if it's something business related and be like, wow, it's a blank slate. Because usually I've been thinking about it. I've been mulling the ideas. I've been criticizing it already in my head. So by the time I actually get around to writing, it's more of just the, the gesture of yeah. blurting it's it all out. So it's all there. It just needs to be in physical form. For some reason, these producers require it. <laughs> yeah, and I'm trying to master the art of getting into the flow state where I feel inspired and ready to write. But usually it's, uh, I'm just going about my life doing the dishwasher. Oh my God, it's 2 a.m. Epiphany, get out my phone on the notes app, write down that one funny line that I think is really great. And then I come back to it two months later when the deadline comes around and I actually have to commit it to paper. And you're flicking through, God, where is it? Which way? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's a realistic portrayal of me. Absolutely. I love that. And how often do you try something? I mean, obviously, this is on your, with yourself, but then I suppose you might try it with your close friends or your management team. Mm. How often do you try something and someone's gone, yeah, I'm not sure that hits or that's slightly over the mark? Absolutely. I, uh, my best friend, Phil, who I live with, who I've uh, done a lot of work with in the past, um, he is the guy that I'm just like, look, I don't, what are you doing with your evening? It doesn't matter. You're doing this now. Look at this. And then he'll read it. And then he'll go, look, this is self-indulgent. <laughs> you need to remove the following 37 minutes because this is just you talking about something that you're interested in and it's boring. Or he'll be like, this joke will get you canceled. Um, <laughs> that's not something that is factually accurate. So he's definitely the person that I go, hey, please read this. And then he'll basically quite cynically say no to 90% of it. Then we argue. And then the 10% of it that's left, I think, yeah, this is safe. This is safe to go. That's all right. So he sheds 90% of your work. 100%. Yeah. Oh no, disaster. Okay, my next moment. This is always a tricky one for anybody that I've spoken to so far, but a moment of regret, if there indeed is one. Mm. I, well, there's a, there's a whole life of regret now. <laughs> <laughs> I think a big regret for me was having, doing so much in my career while not yet being authentic about who I was 
because coming back to the whole sexuality thing, it's more than just uh, a thing about being honest. It's your ability to really enjoy life by feeling authentic and present. Because if you've got a wall up, if, there's, if you've got a wall up in your relationship, you've got a wall up at work, any area of your life, and you're not being real, you can't really appreciate what you're doing at the time. Because not only is the thing that's haunting you probably souring the mood in the back of your head, but for me personally, not being honest about my sexuality kept me scared from forming new relationships with people, friendships, getting close to people. People would open up to me. I feel like I couldn't open up to them. And for example, when I previously would go on a tour, and I would meet people and they'd go, hey, Dan, you've been very open about your mental health. That was really amazing to me. I got help as a result of you talking about how you've struggled with depression in the past. And they would really be opening up to me and sharing something quite vulnerable with me. And then mm. I felt like a complete fraud because I knew in that moment that I was being completely inauthentic back with them sure there were lots of aspects of my life that i could be open with and that was helpful but i still felt like i was fundamentally lying or pretending and i guess this is a hindsight lesson to anyone else who may be feeling the same on any level it doesn't have to be the same subject which is life is very very short we only have so many experiences and the faster you rip that plaster off because we all have a couple of plasters we know that we're just <laughs> procrastinating in our life the faster you rip it off the next time you have that special moment you go on that trip you get that promotion you meet that special person and then something happens in your life where you go hey this is a new core memory it's a good one you'll be able to really appreciate it so yeah that's something that i regret not doing sooner and now now you reflect on that as well in terms of your preservation and I suppose training of your mental health as well. Now, what is it that you, mm. you do to make sure you give yourself time and you do look after your, your wellbeing? I think that, uh, well, I wrote a book called you will get through this night, which is a, a practical guide to mental health, which I did because I thought I had a, a responsibility to, <laughs> but what I learned from the process of researching and writing that book is that mental health is not a mystery. We all think of it as very ephemeral. We can't understand our emotions. We're mm. built a certain way. It's this whole nature nurture thing. I'm programmed, I can't stop it. But actually the human monkey brain, not as complicated as we think, at the end of the day, we're all just apes that are trying to uh, hide in a cave from the scary lightning sound that we just heard outside. And that's anxiety. And when you break things down, to realize, ah, this is what causes stress. This is what causes depression. This is what the experience of anxiety is. There are certain symptoms. You can understand it. You don't feel crazy. You don't feel mysterious. You don't feel like there's nothing you can do. And when you realize there are just certain things that humans are meant to do, we're meant to go outside. We're meant to have certain exercises. We're meant to feel what we eat. And therefore you can influence how you feel because of your lifestyle. It is, again, a double-edged sword because you realize, aha, there is actually more influence to how I feel than I thought, because when I change my lifestyle to be more conducive with my mental health, whether you think it will make a profound difference or not, if you think of mental health as a wave on a graph, it will have inevitable ups and downs. But when you have a stronger foundation of a lifestyle that is conducive to protecting your mental health, you will be grounded closer to that middle ground where the highs won't be so volatile. You won't hit the ground so low because you don't have a support system in place. And I think that was amazing for me because I realized, ah, I have the power. The other side of the sword is, oh, I actually have to do it now. So yeah, practicing what I preach. <laughs> Remembering to- Very uh, difficult. Criticize, 
criticize my own catastrophic self-destructive thoughts that make no sense, remembering to actually go for a walk to clear my mind instead of just doom spiraling on my phone and thinking about how everything's going to be terrible. So yeah, realizing that I have the power, but then actually using it for sure. My final one for you then, what is a moment of peace? Now. I think, <laughs> yeah, peace. Hmm. I think that moments of peace for me have often been moments of forgiveness where I let go of, because I'm quite a resentful person. <laughs> I just, I like to hold on to things for decades. Just think <laughs> I'm motivated purely by spite and revenge. And a lot of it was I need to, for example, succeed in my career in order to think back to any time, you know, maybe I was bullied as a child. Maybe I didn't like the, the town that I grew up in. Maybe I wanted a better life for myself. And it always felt like I had this revenge fantasy that I was going to really just accelerate. I was going to work really hard. And all of this was to get somewhere. And I think again, a few years ago, I had this moment where I thought nobody cares apart from me. And maybe if I actually kind of just let go of that a bit, not only will I appreciate what I have, but I can be motivated by what I want to do rather than just stressing myself out for the sake of going somewhere because it always felt about the end goal, but the end goal was always moving. I was just chasing something on a treadmill pointlessly. And when I thought, actually, hey, Dan, just have, have a moment of realness here, slap yourself in the face. It's just you and you just need to be happy with what you got. I'm not exactly perfect at remembering that every day, but sometimes I do have moments of peace where I go, hey, it's okay. No matter what you have, it's where you have and try to just live in the present because one day a giant meteor or solar flare would come when you least expect it. And then you'd be like, oh my God, why was I so stressed? What was all that work for? That was a waste of time. So yeah, appreciate the present. If you can. Yeah, I like that a lot, actually. I watched a video last night, funnily enough, on TikTok. And um, it was about thinking about the past, present, and the future as three different timelines. But actually, when you think about the concept of time, past mm -hmm. is a memory. The future is the anticipation of what might the present will be. Exactly. So therefore, the only thing that matters is where you are right now in the present. And I, when you, it's all, you know, it's just a mind shift. Really interesting. Mm -hmm. Anyway, there, there, that come to my TED talk another time. Um, <laughs> Dan, I've really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, Thank you for having me. This felt like a small therapy session for me as well. So I very much appreciate you uh, asking me some questions to realign me. <laughs> it's all right. Now you're going to have a productive day. Exactly. For more interviews and features with some of the most engaging personalities in TV and film, music, sports and culture, go to squaremile.com.